Chapter 1, Part 1 of Commentary in the Gospel of John, Book 10, by Cyril of Alexandria, translated by Rev. Thomas Randall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 1, That in nothing is the Son inferior to God the Father, but rather equal to and like Him in nature. 28. If ye loved me, ye would have rejoiced, because I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. He turns the occasion of sorrow into a source of solace, and plainly rebukes them because they do not rather rejoice at what now gives them pain, and at the same time tries to teach them that those who practice an unaffected and sincere love towards others must not merely seek their own pleasure and advantage, but rather to benefit those they love, when an opportunity to do this gives them inducement. Therefore also Paul exhorts us in these words, Love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not its own. He speaks of some who seek not their own but others' good. For true love shows itself in our not only providing for our own advantage, but also considering our neighbor's benefit. For our Saviour, in the words before us, persuades his disciples to lay this to heart. And further, let us imprint the power of this thought in clearer characters on our hearts as on a tablet, and thereby attain unto the mystery of Christ. For a type taken from trifling things will oftentimes avail to enable us to arrive even at those things which we hold to admit of no comparison. It was pleasant then, for example, to the disciples of Paul that they should be always with him, but better for Paul to depart and be with Christ, as he has assured us by his own words. It was the duty then of those who chose to love him to be eager to fulfill their love towards him, and not to consider that only as endurable which was pleasant to themselves, but rather to reflect upon this, that his departure would be to the benefit of their master, for he was eager to be with Christ. You have the outline of the speculation so far as concerns Christ's human nature. Let us therefore, illuminating as it were with varied tints our sketch of the power of the mystery of Christ, clearly show the absolute truth. For the only begotten, being in the form of God the Father, and in equality with the Spirit, counted it not a prize to be on an equality with God, and through his love towards us, emptied himself of his glory, taking the form of a servant, and underwent this that he might direct us all to perfect knowledge of virtue, so as to prepare us by the incomparable brightness of his miracles to behold the power and glory and exceeding might that is inherent in the divine nature. For so he might have induced those who have fallen into the depths of ignorance to recover knowledge once more, and no longer to worship the creature beyond the Creator, but to figure to themselves the one true and living God. And the only begotten has aided us in other ways by his incarnation, for he destroyed the power of death, and loosed the bonds of sin, and granted us to tread upon serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy. It was then, and with great reason, 
sweet and pleasant and beyond all description to ourselves and the holy disciples to have continual converse with christ the giver of such blessings to us and to be ever present with him and in his company but it was clearly not to his advantage so long a time to choose to abide in the guise of humility which he had taken for our advantage through his love to us as we said just now rather was he bound when his dispensation towards us had been already suitably accomplished to ascend to his own glory and with the flesh that he had taken for our sake to hasten back to equality with god the father which thinking it not robbery to do for he might have had this honour in his own right he descended to human humiliation for while he was yet upon the earth though he was truly god and lord of all he was thought no better than the rest of men by those who knew not his glory nay more he was smitten and spat upon and crucified and underwent the ridicule of the impious jews who dared to say if thou art the son of god come down now from the cross and we will believe thee and when after he had fulfilled the mystery of our redemption he ascended to god the father in the heavens when the time of his humiliation was already past and the period of his voluntary degradation accomplished he showed himself very god to the powers above for heaven did not deny the lord of all when he ascended but the charge was given to the sentinels at the gates above that the lord of hosts was drawing nigh although he was borne upward in the raiment of the flesh and the spirit was representing the opening of the gates when he said lift up the gates ye rulers and be lifted up ye everlasting doors and the king of glory shall come in the lord strong and mighty the lord mighty in battle the lord of hosts he is the king of glory for the manifold wisdom of god which he purposed in christ was shown unto the principalities and the powers as paul says for when he ascended to the father although he may be thought greater than the son in this respect that he remained in his everlasting home while the son underwent voluntary humiliation descended in the form of a servant and ascended up again to his own glory and heard the words sit down on my right hand until i make thine enemies thy footstool and it was to the intent that he might not seem too presumptuous and that god the father in the heavens had not of his own will made the son sit on his right hand the father himself is introduced saying this sit thou on my right hand the psalmist says this and no one with any sense will say that the father has the second place of honour though he has the son on his right hand but will rather take what i have said into consideration for it is not the father but rather the son on account of his voluntary degradation and suffering who must be conceived as sitting on the right hand and having a place from which no inferiority could be inferred as he might be numbered among inferior beings by those who cannot comprehend the mystery of his incarnation therefore a place on the right hand of his father against whom no such charge can be brought is allotted to the son that his equality may be maintained
we have done well to introduce these explanations now which have an intimate connection with the present subject now taking up again and unfolding from the beginning the whole purpose of our disquisition i proceed to say that continual converse with our saviour christ is sweet and acceptable and pleasant to us although for our sake he has emptied himself of his glory as has been written and taken the form of a servant and the dishonour of man's nature for what is man's nature as compared with god nor was the incarnation to the advantage of the son but to ascend to his father profited him more and to recover his own glory and power and divine honour in the sight of all and no longer obscured for he sat on the right hand by the will of his father for he loves him as his own offspring and the fruit of his substance and therefore he says if ye loved me ye would have rejoiced because i go unto the father for the father is greater than i surely it was a proof of his father's love towards him that he did not sorrow over his seeming abandonment and the compulsory absence that he had taken on himself but rather took into consideration that he went to the glory befitting him and his due and to his ancient honour that is the godhead manifest nay more the psalmist though he speaks mysteries by the spirit says clap your hands all ye people then he explained the occasion of the festival and introduced the ascension of the saviour into heaven saying god is gone up with a shout the lord with the sound of a trump meaning by the shout and the trump the piercing and clear voice of the spirit when he bade the powers above open the gates and named him lord of hosts as we said just now on the same occasion moreover we shall find the choir of the saints rejoicing with great joy of heart then too he said in one place the lord reigneth let the earth rejoice and in another the lord reigneth the lord hath put on glorious apparel the lord hath put on and girded himself with might for he that was with us as a man before his resurrection from the dead when he ascended to his father in the heavens then put on his own glorious apparel and girded himself with the might that was his from the beginning for he sat and reigneth with the father then it is right and meet that those who love him should rejoice because he has gone to his father in the heavens to take upon him his own glory and to reign again with him as at the beginning and he says that he is greater not because he sat down on the right hand as god but as he was still with us that is in human shape for as he still wore the guise of a servant and the time had not yet come that he should be reinstated he calls god the father greater moreover when he endured the precious cross for us the jews brought him vinegar and gall when he was athirst and when he drank he said it is finished for already the time of his humiliation was fulfilled and he was crucified as man he had overcome the power of death not as man but rather as god i say by the working of his power and the glory and might of his conquest not according to the flesh 
The Father then is greater, since the Son was still a servant and in the world, as he says that he is God of himself, and adds this attribute to his human form. For if we believe that he degraded and humbled himself, will it not be obvious to all that he descended from superiority to an inferiority, and rather from equality with the Father to the reverse? The Father underwent nothing of this, and he abode where he was at the beginning. He is greater, therefore, than he that chose inferiority by his own dispensation, and remained in such a state until he was restored to his ancient condition, I mean his own and natural glory in which he was at the beginning. We may rightly judge that his equality with the Father, which while he might have had it uninterruptedly, he did not consider robbery to take for our sake, is his own and natural position. And as we have spoken at length about the equality of the Son with God the Father in previous books, it may well be fitting to proceed to illustrate all things in order, leaving long discussions on the subject for the present. And since a certain dull-witted heretic, receiving from the Jews some marvelous knowledge of the holy writings, and attempting to explain the verse we have before us, has committed to writing intolerable blasphemies against the only begotten. I deemed it a mark of feebleness, and very unbecoming to myself, calmly to pass them by, and to dismiss in silence the awful madness of the man to whom I allude. I think, then, we ought to encounter him in argument, and show that his words are baseless and old wives' fables, and wholly devoid of sense, and the quibbles of a perverted logic. And with reference to the same passage, I will read over to you what he has dared to write when giving the view he took of the text. When he called his father greater than himself, he not only displayed his own humility, but also refuted the heresy of those who maintain that his nature is twofold. And having thus shattered the opinion of Sibelius, he makes a furious and vigorous onslaught, as he thinks, on those who put the son on an equality with the father in these words. Some have reached such a pitch of madness that they cannot at all endure to say that the father is superior to the divinity of the only begotten, but only that the father seems to surpass him when compared with him in reference to the incarnation though they are not even able to look at them together in this respect, and things different in kind can in no way be compared. For no one would ever say that man is wiser than a beast, or that a horse runs faster than a tortoise, but that one man has more reason than another, and that one horse has greater speed than another, since then only things belonging to the same class are capable of comparison with each other we must admit that the Father is greater even than the divinity of the Son. For those who fall into the contrary error of drawing a comparison with reference to the Incarnation, so far as in them lies, lessen the honor of the Father. Such are his puerile babblings, and we must take care to show that he does not even know that he is inconsistent with himself. For he admits that the Son maintains becoming humility when he says, The Father is greater than I. And I marvel that he did not also lay this to heart. 
for whatever was it which induced him to meddle with theology although one would not make of no account the knowledge of the fitting time to speak or to act if one were wise what need was there then of such unseasonable discussion of the divine nature to his disciples in their agony when he was about to depart from the world to god the father for what kind of consolation could this consideration bring to them and why does not he merely rebuke them saying if you loved me you would have rejoiced that i go to the father because the father is greater than i tell me then did he think that this tended to solace the disciples or to rid them of the sorrow they felt from their love of god that he was going to the father who was greater than himself although when philip asked him and said lord show us the father and it sufficeth us then indeed and very opportunely as the occasion for theological teaching had arrived he showed that the father was in him and he himself in the father and that he was in no way inferior to him but distinguished by his perfect equality when he said have i been so long time with you and dost thou not know me philip he that hath seen me hath seen the father believest thou not that i am in the father and the father in me i and the father are one then indeed very opportunely he unravels his discourse thereupon and it is worthy of admiration but here how is the reference opportune or what construction would it admit of other than his desire to allay his disciples grief and to furnish them as it were with a medicine of consolation bidding them rejoice because he goes to the father is it not then obvious to any one however dull-witted he may be from the very state of the case that since he was hastening to return to his own glory with the father he bade those who loved him rejoice at this devising this admirable means of consolation for them with the rest but i will now pass this by and will not lay much stress on their demented folly but i say that we ought rather to go on to the following considerations for he thought perhaps when comparing his incarnate nature with his divine they could not help making profit out of the inquiry when we say that the son was emptied of his glory when he became a man is it not so how could it be otherwise but speaking of his divine glory in contrast with his place as a servant and his position of subjection we say that the son was inferior to the father in so far as he was human but that he was reinstated into his equality with the father after his sojourn here not endued with any new or adventitious or unaccustomed glory but rather restored to that state in which he was at the beginning with the father and indeed the inspired writer who initiates us into mysteries i mean paul no longer attributing to him the humiliations belonging to man's estate after his resurrection from the dead and ascension into heaven exhorts us saying even though we have known christ after the flesh yet now we know him so no more and of himself again paul an apostle of jesus christ not from men neither through man 
but through Jesus Christ. And yet, why is it that when he says that on his second coming to us, he will change the body of our humiliation, that it may be conformed to the body of his glory, he now denies it, saying, Not from men, neither through man, although destined to be an apostle by Jesus Christ. But how is it that he says he knew him not in the flesh? Did he then, tell me, deny the master that bought him? God forbid, for he is right-minded. For when the period of the actual humiliation or degradation of the only begotten had been accomplished and come to an end, he makes haste to proclaim himself and to gain recognition, not in the character which he presented when emptied of his glory, but of his natural attributes of God. For when it had once been known and admitted that he was human, he was bound to instruct believers in him that he was also God by nature. And for this reason he chooses to speak of his divinity rather than anything else. And I marvel that the heretic of whom we are speaking does not blush when he says that, as only things which belong to the same class admit of comparison with each other, they must confess the Father is greater than the divinity of the Son. For he does not perceive, it seems, that he has armed his own argument against himself. For let him answer us this pertinent inquiry. From what starting point can comparisons of things of the same class best proceed? Can we reasonably start with what they are, according to the common definition of their nature, or with the qualities which belong to, or are deficient in each, or inhere, or do not inhere in each? And I will give an example, and will select that which he gave to us by way of illustration. If any one choose to compare one man with another, looking to the one common definition of their essence, he would find no distinction. For there is no difference between man and man, so far as each is a thinking animal, mortal, and capable of sense and knowledge, as in all men there is one and the same definition of their essence. Nor does one horse differ from another in its essential character as a horse. But one man differs from another in some special sort of knowledge, as writing, and in diverse other ways. This does not affect the essence, but clearly proceeds from quite another cause. So also one horse excels another in speed, or is smaller or larger than another. But you will find that superiority or inferiority in these respects lies outside the definition of their essence. Otherwise, things brought into mutual comparison could have no distinctions made between them. For if one man had a less or greater degree of the essential character of man, how could we conceive or speak of him at all? Then all things of the same type and their essential characters are uniform. But the difference lies in those attributes which either inhere in them or which lie outside, viewing them in the light of accidents. Since then, according to his premise or statement, which I will proceed to deal with, only things of like nature admit of comparison at all appropriately. He must start by admitting that the Son is of the same class as the Father, that is, of the same essence. For so you will have the same class in view. 
for he proved that man might be compared with man, and horse with horse. Then let him go on to tell us the reason why. When the Son is compared with God the Father as being of the same class, he has any kind of inferiority to him, and where we shall find it, when one and the same definition of their essence belongs to things of the same class. For in the case of the essence of a class, its definition is not perfect in some cases and imperfect in others, but is one and the same for all. But we may say that any accident may have a separate cause and accrue to a thing in a different manner. In order to make what I have said quite clear, I will set before you the illustration I gave at the outset. No man differs from another in his essential character as man, but one man is pious and another wicked, and one is weak and maimed, while another is healthy and strong, and one is vile and another good. But when a man accurately investigates the reasons for these distinctions, he will not trace them to their common definition of the essence, but rather attributes the causes to diseases of mind or body. As then, there is one definition of Godhead for the Father and the Son, both in conception and reality. Otherwise one could not but go astray. For they are compared as belonging to the same class, and I will use his words for the purpose of the argument. Let these deluded men tell us what they think it was that paved the way for the inferiority of the Son to God the Father. Was it disease, or indolence, or those things which are known to affect created beings? Who would be so mad, and such a slave of contradictions, as even to lend an ear to such blasphemy? When then, being, as he is, of the same class as the living God, he himself also is manifestly by nature God. For he is brought into comparison with the Father, and nothing can hinder his having a like state with his Father. How is he inferior? Since then this adversary of the truth has given in detail a mass of contradictions with reference to the text, and has not hesitated to affirm that the Father is greater than the Godhead of the Son, let us, then, after having made a brief defense of the Incarnation, and separated it in our demonstration from the consideration of the matter under discussion, compare the divinity of the Son with that of the Father, according to their definition. But let us previously inquire of him who dares to say this, whether he thinks that God, when he is God, is so by nature, or something else besides but honored with the appellation of divinity, as there are many so that are called gods and lords in heaven, and many on earth. When then he asserts that the Son has been honored by the bare appellation of divinity, but that he is not by nature really that which he is said to be, we who are right-minded will encounter him, and openly exclaim, My good sir, if he is not really God, we shall worship the creature in preference to the Creator, and not only we who inhabit this earthly sphere, but also the multitude of holy angels. And we shall also accuse every saint who has spoken of him as the real and true God, and most of all we charge St. John, who said of him, 
we know that the son of god is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know the true god and we are in his true son jesus christ this is the true god and eternal life but if rejecting all inspired writings alike he confess that he is really god and be so minded and still suggest the doctrine that even so he falls below the father's dignity in some respect has he not introduced to us a new god wholly dissevered from his natural connection with the father and conceived of as having a separate existence and not inhering in the substance of god the father but i think the matter is obvious to every one for if nothing is conceived of as being greater or less than itself but is greater than anything which is less and less than anything which is greater must he not perforce admit that there are two true and real gods so that one is thought the greater and the other the less so the faith of the church is wholly destroyed and overturned by their doctrine for we shall have not one god but two whose temples then are we according to the scriptures surely his who established his spirit in our hearts when then we find in the holy writings the spirit spoken of as not of the father only but also of the son what are we to infer and what view must we take which of the two reject and call the other god if however we are to admit a duality of gods one less and the other greater we shall say that both abide in our hearts by separate spirits and we shall be found temples of more than one god and there are two spirits dwelling in us a greater and a less corresponding to the nature of those who gave them for who could tolerate such ravings and who cannot see that their doctrine is absurd and ridiculous after he has considered the view i have just set forth but perhaps if he is forced to admit that there is a duality of gods by nature one the greater and the other the less he will proceed to that doctrine that is always recurring in his writings i mean he will say that the son has a separate nature though he is not wholly devoid of the nature of a created being yet neither does he wholly decline from the divinity of god the father for those who do not scruple to say plainly that he is a creature take refuge in the refinements of language trying as it were to gloss over their profanity when then we say that the son has such a nature as not to be wholly god nor yet to fall entirely into the category of creatures but that he holds an intermediate place so as to fall beneath the dignity of god the father and yet to exceed created beings in glory we will say first of all that there is no authority to induce us to lay down the doctrine they choose to propound for either let them satisfy us from the holy and inspired writings or confessing that they have no voucher for their private opinion blush for laying down definitions in matters of faith from their own private judgment but since it occurred to them to say this in their rash folly i will proceed to the view they have propounded and i will say once more that if only things of the same class are properly capable of mutual comparison 
and the son is proved that he may properly be compared with god the father in the plainest language the father is greater than i must not then the father be conceived of as having the same nature you attribute to the son what follows then your whole speculation is upset for so long as you maintain that the father is greater than the son but a created being is less according to you the nature of the only begotten lies between the two and when the nature of the father is lessened to that of the son one of the extremes is left out as there is no longer anything above and superior to the son and if as he says he is compared with the father as being one of the same class must not the definition of their essence be one and the same for both and if you scruple to admit that the son is of the same essence with the father but rather put him in a position of inferiority and debase the glory of the father to that of a being whom you reckon less than and inferior to him do you not see blasphemy springing up like a thorn does not then a root of bitterness springing up rankle in the heart of those thus minded why then do you leave the straight path of truth and launch into such absurd discussions grant then to the only begotten in your thoughts an equality with god the father for thus there will be one god worshipped and glorified in the holy and consubstantial trinity both by us and by the holy angels End of chapter 1, part 1